Yeah. All right, Romans chapter 15. Enough of that talk. Let's go to the Bible. Romans chapter 15. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Romans chapter 15, start in verse 1, and uh, we'll read down to verse 7. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. <clears throat> we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction and that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jo join me as we pray. Father, we want to honor you and glorify you because of what Jesus has done. Lord, I pray you would minister to the hearts of people today. I have brothers and sisters that are hurting. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. Even, even just to be here on the Lord's Day, strengthen them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Every church that's worth its salt is a mixture. It's a, it's a mixture of people from different backgrounds and different beginnings and different cultures and, and even different worldviews. It's a mixture of people with different life experiences and different expectations. Every church is a mixture. Every church is a mixture of those that are strong, those that are weak. In a truer, more direct way, every person, every person is a mixture of being strong and feeling weak. None of us in this room, none of us can always feel strong. And none of us in this room can actually stay weak forever. If you're a member of the church, there are times when people are going to need you to carry their burdens because you're the strong one. There are other times when you've had the wind knocked out of your soul and you're going to need your Christian friends. This is the church. This is what we do. You're going to need brothers and sisters in Christ to come and put an arm around you and lift the burden off. And if the church of Jesus Christ is going to stick together around the gospel, then we must bear up carry one another, and carry our burdens and the burdens of other people 
even those you might not understand and possibly those that you just flat disagree with. I mean, Paul's writing to a mixed church here. This passage that Paul wrote, this passage is, is a gospel summons to a hurting church to get their eyes on Jesus and their hearts invested in other brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about context. We always take context when we read a passage. We don't just pull it out and start talking about what we have here. In the context, in this passage, Paul is writing to a struggling bunch of believers in a God-forsaken town called Rome. And Paul has given them the hope that is found at the cross of Jesus and the strength that is found in Christ's church. There's something wrong with your Christianity. There's something wrong if the cross of Jesus doesn't give you a heart for people and a love for his church. Paul is reminding them, here in, verse, here in chapter 15, Paul is reminding his readers as he's reminding us that there is no stronger bond than that of one Christian bonded to another Christian by the cross of Jesus. There is no stronger bond. There is no stronger bond that gives us hope, that supplies us with strength, that gives us the ability, this is how you're able to glorify God. One preacher said that this passage speaks of humble duties to fulfill and high doctrine to hold on to. And, and that's what I, I want our church to be a church that does. We do the humble things, we work hard, and we hold on to really strong doctrine. I want us to be a church that is grounded uh, by the gospel at the cross of Jesus. There at the cross that, that, that Jesus saves sinners, but also strengthens. Strengthens the weak. That the gospel calls us to, we can look out into the future with hope. It's the strong beliefs we have. And I, I want that to be sort of just the, the drumbeat of this message. That strong beliefs always lead to real action. You have some strong beliefs about the gospel. You have strong beliefs about being a Christian. Those strong beliefs always, if you're a Christian, they always lead to to action. Let's talk about what that action is. Let's lay the groundwork here. You'll find it in verses 1 and 2. Number 1, the first point I want to give you is that we have in the Bible, we have some clear directives there in verse 1 and 2. You already see them probably. You'll see our clear directives in verses 1 and 2. Here are the, the humble duties we're, we're, we're called to. Let me read verses 1 and 2. Let me show it to you. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Do you see there in verse 1? Look, look at it. 
Do you see the Christian impulse? We who are strong, notice what Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm including myself in the strong. It's nice of Paul to say, we who are strong. So Paul puts himself in the strong camp there. But he's not always felt like that. When he wrote to the church in Corinth, the second letter in chapter 12, that's when he said, I've been insulted, I've been hurt, and I feel weak. Because I can read it. I've gone through difficulties, and it has me down. There are times when he felt weak. But right here, he's operating from a point of strength, and, and with that comes the Christian impulse. Now, this is important. When you're strong, Notice the, that the impulse is not to dominate. The, the impulse is not to manipulate. The impulse is not to humiliate. The impulse is not to overpower. Look at it. Look at the impulse. We who are strong have an obligation. Circle that word. That word is to be in debt to. Yours might say ought. That is not a good translation. Why? Because in the English language right now, the word ought really doesn't carry strength. Like, I might say, <clears throat> I ought to eat some vegetables. But the truth is, unless 10 or 12 of you cram them into my mouth, I'm not going to. <laughs> ought really doesn't carry weight in the English language anymore. The word obligation does, though. This is a strong word here. That there's not a choice in the matter. When you, as a, as a Christian, when you're doing well and you're growing in the Lord and you're not battling depression and, and you're getting more and more sound theology and your prayer life is good, when that is you, your mandate is to reach over and take some burden off a brother or sister who's overwhelmed. You don't have to look far. Who's maybe stuck or confused or, or just in an emotional hole. The Christian impulse, and, and look what Paul adds to it. it. That's the Christian impulse. You, we who are strong, we have an obligation to lift the burden of those who are weak. And look what Paul adds to it in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If the Marines have a motto, no man left behind, how much more should those who are children of grace, how much more should we forego personal comfort and desires and, yes, even opinions? How much more should we forego feelings and go back and pick up that brother or sister that's straggling, that's hurting? How much more should you and I go back and get that wounded sister who's confused about life, or, or really just plain tired. I, I have heard so many people talk about just how, during the, how tired they are. Just, I live in a preacher world. I talk to preachers all the time. And every week I hear some preacher that has just quit. Paul says, look, if you're, you're among the strong, you, you better reach over and get that brother. He intensifies it a little bit in verse 2. Notice what he says. Don't please yourself. Then in verse 2, he adds to it, you should please your neighbor. Now, that doesn't mean being a man pleaser as opposed to being a God pleaser. Paul addresses that over in Galatians. He defines what he means by that in verse 2. Let me show, let me show it to you. <clears throat> let each of us please his neighbor. What does he mean by that? He defines it. 
for his good to build him up. <clears throat> In other words, point her, point her the Point her to the hope and the healing and the peace and the patience found in the Lord Jesus. When, when you minister to somebody, talk to him about the grace of God and the patience of God. <clears throat> Sit and listen a while. And then after listening, take that person to the healing floor at the cross of Jesus. Look, if we could just get our eyes off of ourselves for a little while and, and let the grace of God bring people to the grace of God found at the cross... Before we can ever become culture warriors, we've got, to be, we've got to be Christian brothers and sisters. That, that means that the name, in the name of Jesus, we have some, some clear directives. They're there in verse 1. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of those who are struggling, to go over there and reach up under that burden and carry it a little bit. And let me just say to those of you here that might be feeling weak right now, don't let your own pride keep you from talking to another brother or sister. You're a child of God purchased by the blood of Jesus, loved by God. You, you need to receive the, receive the love and the help that the church actually gives one another. We, we, we have some clear directives here in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> but as you read, you'll notice something else in, in verse 3. Here's my second point. We have the ultimate example in verse 3. Look what Paul does in verse 3. I've been preaching through the book of Romans for almost two years. I think it's somewhere close to 80 sermons in Romans. And this is the first time that the Apostle Paul reaches over and lifts up Jesus as an example to follow. Paul says, okay, now I want you to imitate, to consider, to think about. And he's going to do two things in verse 3 when he talks about Jesus. I'm going to use two words to help us categorize how we think about the Lord Jesus. The first word is the word example. Example. Notice what he says in verse 3. Paul writes, for Christ did not please himself. So let's pause there. The greatest example of self-denial that there ever has been for the sake of others is Jesus. The greatest example of self-denial for the sake of others is Jesus. Paul's point seems to be, this is the same point he makes over in Philippians chapter 2, you know, that beautiful passage. His point seems to be, if Jesus Christ, who is the very Son of God, did not order His life to please Himself, how much more should we forego our own personal advantages and follow in the footsteps of the suffering servant? How much more, if Jesus... If Jesus gave up everything to help, this is by way of example, how much more should his followers? Now look, we can't actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. If we can't actually be the hands and feet of Jesus, we can live in such a way that we can point people to the hands and feet of Jesus who were wounded for our transgressions and pierced through for our iniquities. Paul is calling us to consider Jesus to 
imitate Jesus. That's not the only thing he's calling here, but he is calling us to do that. So that if, if we actually claim to be a Christian, you know, Christian is little Christ, is an imitator of Christ. If you actually claim to be a Christian, then it can turn out to be a true statement because you're imitating Jesus. I, honestly, <clears throat> so much strife and trouble and hurt and division and pain and confusion would cease if people in the church just acted Christian. Paul says, here's an example. It's Jesus, the greatest example there ever was. Example. But that's not the sum total of Christianity is Jesus is our example, so grow up to be like Jesus. No, we, we need something else. Keep looking. I'll give you another word. It's the word expiation. Expiation. It's a theological word. E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. Expiation. It's an important word. It's one of those words, and we have several of them. It's one of those terms that describe what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Why did the cross happen? Two primary words. One is propitiation. Propitiation is pointed toward heaven. Think of it like that. And propitiation means it's turned away the wrath and judgment of God. When Jesus died on the cross as the propitiation, he took the anger, God's angry with sin, he took it away. That's one way to think of it. Another way is expiation that looks toward us. What is the effect of what Jesus did on us? That's what expiation is. It means a cleansing it means a taking away of a criminal, criminal record. It means the taking away of guilt. It means the washing away of sin. It's one of those things, and he did lots, but it's one of those things that Jesus did on the cross for sinners, any sinner that repents and believes. That's what the cross is about. And here's what Paul does in verse 3. Paul points there by quoting a passage from the Old Testament. you see it in your Bible? probably in quotation marks and maybe in footnoted at the bottom. It's Psalm 69, verse 9. And Paul writes it like this. He always says, as it is written, or it has been written, and then he quotes the psalm. Look at it, verse 3. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He took that passage and he's saying it, it, it's coming out of the mouth of Jesus. He reaches over in the Old Testament, Psalm 69. And Psalm 69, you can go back and do the research on this. Psalm 69 is used over and over and over in the New Testament, 11 or 12 times. And most of the time, that psalm is used to describe and explain the death of Jesus. So, as a brother or sister, I'm asking you not just to think of Jesus as the example I'm asking you to come back here to the cross. And it's good for us. It's good for us to pause and think about the pierced hands of Jesus, the wounded side of Jesus. Think about his painful cries on the cross and know that that sacrifice is an act of love for God so loved, is what the Bible said. You should look at the cross and feel loved by God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, covered with grace, and strengthened by His Spirit. We can never 
as Christians. We can never stray far from the cross. We are people of the cross. Certainly, Jesus is our example. We want to be like Christ. Of course, that's true. But more than that, he provides expiation. Those terrible reproaches that were directed at us because of our sin, they landed on Jesus. I have clear, we have clear directives. We have an ultimate example. That's Jesus. Let me give you a third thing to consider. Number three, we have a sure foundation. A sure foundation. You'll find that at the end of verse three and going into verse four. When I say foundation, I mean you've got something to stand on. Paul gives us that right here in this passage, something to stand on. And man, do we need that right now. Remember now, back in verse 3, remember what he said? Paul used that little phrase, as it is written. Anytime you see that, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying, as it is written, he means the Bible. And then in verse 4 of your Bible, you'll see that. Verse 4, he explains just how important the Bible is. Let me read it to you, verse 4, and then let's talk about it. Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now let's just, let's take that, those two verses, three and four, and let's just list out some of the the qualities that Paul shows us of the Bible. One thing you'll find in this passage about the Bible is that the Bible is authoritative, authoritative. Paul says in verse 3, as it is written. In other words, don't just believe what I'm telling you. This is written down somewhere. He's making his case about Jesus, and what he's appealing to is an authority. He appeals to the Bible because there is no higher earthly authority than the Bible. Where the Bible speaks, God speaks. Where the Bible speaks, God provides ground for you as a Christian to stand on. The Bible is is guidance for the Christian to follow. And you know what Paul does here? He just quotes the Bible. Because for Paul, as it should be for us, the Bible then ends every argument. It is our authority because it is God speaking. Now that has really far-reaching results if you actually believe that when you hear from God, you do so by hearing the Bible, it may change the way you live. Authoritative. There's something else about the Bible. You'll see it in verses 3 and 4, and that is that the Bible is Christ-centered. I mean, the whole reason, the whole reason Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, and verse 3, the entire reason is because it actually points to Jesus. This is the same thing that Jesus did after the resurrection. You find the story in Luke. After the resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. And he's explaining the prophets and Moses. And he's saying, all of that points to me. This is what what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.15 when Paul says, The scriptures are there to make us wise to salvation. The Bible, I don't know what you think about the Bible. The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is 
is not a rule book. It's an emancipation proclamation, and the liberator is Jesus. The Bible, authoritative, Christ-centered. There's something else that Paul says about the Bible. The Bible is comprehensive. There's nothing happening in your life that's outside of the Bible speaking to. You see what I mean there in verse 4? Paul says, for whatever was written in former days, the whole thing. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament. We can understand old and new when we read it. Whatever was written in former days, the whole thing speaks to the whole of life and our universal need for Christ. I, I don't know if it was John MacArthur or Mark Dever that said it, but the Old Testament is a promise made and the New Testament is a promise kept or or you might think of it like, th like this. The Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. Or the whole Bible together has one, one story. And that story is God's good creation culminating in man. That man falling into sin has affected all of us. And the story of the Bible is creation, the fall into sin, the pursuit of God, this kindness that leads to repentance, and redemption found in Jesus, foreshadowed in all of the sacrifices preached about in the prophets, shown up in the Gospels, explained in the epistles, given to us in the Bible, pointing us to Christ, and then the consummation, which is the coming King. The whole Bible gives that to us. The Bible is Christ-centered and comprehensive the Bible is also instructive. You hear that in verse 4. Paul says in verse 4 that it is written for our instruction to teach us. Now, let me just speak to those of you that are Christians. What a, what a great gift you have to have a copy of God's Word in your hand or on your phone. You can access it anytime, day or night. You have multiple translations. You can have somebody read it to you. And it's there for our instruction. You need to learn it. You need to soak in it. You need to know this word. You need to let this Bible seep into your soul. This is why we have a reading plan. This is why we have Awana. This is why we have Bible studies with our students, with college students. I've heard people say, I don't want just to have a head full of Bible knowledge. Most people that say, I don't want a head full of Bible knowledge, have their brains filled with other junk. There's just not room in there. We need to get some of that out. I mean, if this, honestly, if this really is God's word and if it is God speaking to us, then it's going to do its work in your soul. Look what that work is. Right? Look at the work in verse 4. It's the word endurance. You see what, see what Paul says there? This is what the Bible does. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance. You know what that means? The ability just to keep going. Just to, just to one more time put your foot in front of your other foot and keep going. It's, this is staying power. This is, um, this is hanging on power. I, this is slogging through power. That's what the Word of God is in your soul. It's like a, it's like a slow but unstoppable freight train that's going to carry you through. Building up stamina. That's what this is, stamina. When you feel miserable and you're bored with everything, it's God's Word in your soul that keeps you moving forward. That, that results in something. It's there in verse 4. 
It's that word hope. See what the encouragement of the scriptures does? That through the encouragement of the scripture, you might have, look at the word, it's hope. One of those wonderful Christian words, hope is, hope is nothing more than a way forward. I mean, even if it's one step, hope, hope is, a, is a plan. You know, the beautiful thing about a plan, even if it goes awry, the beautiful thing about a plan is we're assuming that there is a future. Hope is Jesus on the cross in the tomb, the resurrection. That's why we worship on a Sunday, because we're people of hope. You see what the Bible does? It gives you a foundation to stand on. Look, you're not sinking. You're, you're not free falling. There's a bottom. There's a bottom to what you're going through. And at the bottom, it's solid and it's safe. And Jesus is there. We have, we have some clear directives. We have... The ultimate example, which is Jesus, we have a sure foundation, God's Word. Let me just close with this last, last point. I'll make it quick. We have a glorious destination. Let's just take, you see verses 5 and 6, a glorious destination. Verse 5 and 6 stand out because it's sort of a prayer It's sort of a prayer and sort of a blessing and sort of a wish all wrapped up in one. It's actually a pretty good model uh, for you praying for someone. It's a pretty good model right here in verse, uh, verses 5 and 6. So let me just, um, I think this is a great way to end. Let's just use this as our prayer. Join me in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement. You hear him called the God of peace all through the Bible, the God of love all through the Bible. Here you have Paul saying, this is a God of endurance and encouragement. And that tells you if, if you're in Jesus, if he is your God, then you are going to make it. Paul says, may the God who is the God of endurance and encouragement, may he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Not just unity, not just unity, unity in the name of Jesus in accord with the cross. Cross-centered unity. The cross holds us together and makes us one body. May this God, who is the God of encouragement and endurance, keep pointing you to Jesus Christ so that so many different people in one spot with one voice one unified, singular voice in verse 6, that together with one voice we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glorifying God. Isn't that what you want to do? It happens. The God and Father of who? Of our Lord. Will you submit your life? Submitting your life to Jesus. Lordship. To Jesus. Jesus, the one who atoned, died on the cross for sinners. Jesus Christ, that word Christ, reminds us that He's been raised from the dead and, and even now intercedes for all of those that are His. You see, this whole passage, 
I mean, I love the Bible. I, I love to read it and preach it. And I don't know why any preacher wouldn't preach the Bible. This whole passage provides hope for the weak and for the strong. Those who are made strong in Jesus. So here's how I want to close today. I'd like to close this with an invitation and use questions to invite you. So as we close, let me just invite you to bow your heads with me in a moment of thought and prayer. And think with me about this. Are you among the weak? I'm not saying you're a weak person. I'm saying right now you feel really, really weak. You're, you're with God's people on the Lord's day. It's okay for you to, in your heart, answer. Are you among the weak? The Lord Jesus stands ready. Your church, this is what church does. Your church will stand beside you. But you need to let somebody know. I'm asking you this, are you among the strong? Are you, if you like really right at this point in your life, you pursuing the Lord, you're learning, you're growing, you're praying. You, you need to, God has not given that to you for you to keep that to yourself. You need to reach across the aisle or maybe next to you or someone that you know of that is hurting. This, this text says we go over there to carry. You need to carry somebody's burden. Are you distracted? Distracted. In other words, you used to be like really committed. You could look back in your life and say, I remember back when I was 16 and I really was walking with the Lord, but now at 22 or 3, I'm having a... I'm just distracted. I'm just asking you this morning to consider Jesus' example, expiation. Look at him, his example, but look deeper at the cross. And, and let Christ be the one that draws you back. All right, let me ask you this. Are you backsliding? Are you slipping? You've been in church long enough. If you're backsliding, you've been in church long enough to be a front slider, so you know the Bible. I'm just saying that you know enough scripture that it, it needs to come and seep into your soul and do its work. Are you living your life to glorify God through the Lord Jesus Christ? The wonderful thing about the Bible, the wonderful thing about Christianity is that in Jesus, the weak will once again say, I am strong. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you would do your work, that grace might abound here, that we might rejoice, that we might with one voice give glory to you, our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.